welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome. This is Punch It, writing in Star Trek. I am your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Charlene Schmidt, you are a beautiful human being and a fantastic oh. person, and I always enjoy podcasting with you every single week, and this week almost didn't happen just because of complications, felt like everything was getting in our way, whether it was scheduling, life, work, social, everything, <laughs> technology, so oh many things God. were getting in our way. But we have overcome, and we will overcome, as we always do, to deliver great Star Trek content to you as many times as we can. And today is no difference. Today's topic, <laughs> we came up with this because we wanted to stretch ourselves and because we wanted a truly <laughs> writer's room experience. Like you and I were sitting down, we're just like, this is Punch It, writing in Star Trek, focus on writing, where sometimes we'll go a little crazy. We're just kind of like, ah, oh, we kind of push the boundaries of what writing means to overall content, but this week we're just like, no, we're doing a writer's room episode, and this is something, we're gonna be talking about a product, we're gonna be writing a product that neither you and I necessarily want, and I think <laughs> yeah. that's why it's gonna be fun, and so what we're talking about this week is, what would a rated R Star Trek film look like? That is correct. You said over text that constraints prompt creativity, and this is going to be an exercise in that precisely, because neither you and I are terribly crazy about the whole proposal of a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film, rated R Star Trek film, just even generally speaking, like why? We don't have to do that, but we're going to force ourselves to see what that would look like, how it might be achieved, and then if we think of any story ideas along the way, so be it. And uh, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm actually really excited to do this just because of all the constraints that we're trying to prevent us from doing the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> the universe hates us sometimes, I swear. Just everything seems to be just like, oh my God, this now? Are you kidding? After five other obstacles we had to overcome. But we are here and we are ready and we're going to do this. Now, as you mentioned just a moment ago, you mentioned Tarantino's name. For years, a couple of years now, uh, the idea of a Tarantino Star Trek film has been floated around and people are just like, you know, like, why would he want to do this? Why would Paramount want him to do this? And it was interesting because we we're like, oh, well, if you have Tarantino, he's going to want to make it R. Does that mean we're going to get the first rated R Star Trek? Is that something we want? Is that yeah. something the fandom wants? Is that something the franchise deserves or needs? Or is it even possible? You know, like that kind of thing. And, and how is that going to be received? And I was the first one, the first one to say, never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> maybe, maybe a Tarantino film, maybe he produces it, maybe he writes it, but definitely not a rated R Tarantino film. And now it's looking more and more like that's going to happen. Yeah. And so I'm going to be eating crow probably in six months. Maybe. I mean, it's still not definite, but it does seem that, especially now with CBS and Viacom, Paramount, blah, 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 all the mergers happening now finally star trek can be under one umbrella again 
Yes, that that was uh, just announced. It ha- it hasn't been confirmed because the mar- market hasn't closed yet uh, as of this recording. And speaking of recording, uh, if I sound a little different, I'm not in my normal studio, and so I'm kind of in a mobile mode right now. So if it does sound different, we definitely apologize because audio quality is something that we very much pride ourselves in. But we wanted to make sure that we got you uh, this content this week, so we do apologize if it sounds different. Now. Uh, yes, so there's going to be potentially, most likely, 99% sure that there's going to be a CBS Paramount merger. Like this, they, they split in 2006, and so hopefully they can come back together again. And what that means is we could have sharing of the of Star Trek intellectual property. That's pretty much all Star Trek fans are focused on right now. Right. Is, you know, how it affects the franchise because... You know, there's been rumors circulating. I don't know if it's been confirmed or not. Some people told me it's confirmed, but I haven't seen it for myself. That the reason why so many things were different in Discovery is because they could only use a percentage of the visual aesthetic of the previous Star Trek films and Star Trek series. And so they, it had to be something like 30% different. I'm just throwing a number out there. <laughs> um, You're not wrong, and though. So yeah, so that's been circulating around, and that's because of the Paramount CBS split. It's always been a headache ever since 2006, and so we could get another prime line, prime timeline, prime time, no, prime, <laughs> prime universe timeline uh, movie because of this, and we could also get some more Kelvin verse stuff integrated into CBS All Access. Like it just adds more mixture, more variety for the fans. So I think it's a positive. And what do you think about it? Yeah, I think overall it's probably a better idea to have the entire franchise under one umbrella rather than split apart with all these stupid, weird, creative, uh, yeah, just differences between, okay, this is movie stuff, this is TV stuff. No, 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 it's all Star Trek. This, I hope, will simplify things. And yes, I do think it will kind of open up the idea to things like another prime timeline film, possibly, or... Uh, you know, more Kelvinverse stuff in the TV series. Uh, who knows? I'm not exactly sure what they'll do with it. But once we do get confirmation, I'm sure we're going to hear a whole lot about it because we already have people. And I don't know how much you follow the buzz on it. I just vaguely kind of see the headlines on Twitter. I may or may not click the article. But, you know, William Shatner, is, of course, is interested in possibly doing something. He's questioned what he might do because, I mean, it, it's William Shatner. Of course he wants to be involved. Uh, Carl Urban has said, yeah, go ahead and make the Tarantino film. I'm on board. Let's do this thing. So what do you think about all of that? Well, I think it's it, it's definitely creating buzz. And I think it's something that is interesting because just today I heard that Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt both said that they would love to be in a Tarantino Star Trek film. Hmm. And... That alone, like honestly, yeah, like like Brad Pitt alone in a Star Trek film uh, would be enough for me to go, okay, that's fine. You know, let Tarantino do it. Let it be rated R (laughs) because, you know, that's fine. I never, ever would have imagined Brad Pitt in a Star Trek film. I mean, that's some serious star power. And Margot Robbie, she's just, you know, insanely hot right now. The fact that they're even expressing interest. Wow. Yeah, and that's the thing is that like when you bring in a name like Tarantino, you know, who's someone who is known for bringing original properties and original works to high success, it does make sense. I you know again yeah. a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have said this. I would not have agreed with this. I would have said, "No, no, the Tarantino audience does this, doesn't necessarily mix with the Star Trek audience." Even though I am one of those people who I like a lot of Tarantino stuff and I like Star Trek, but I don't necessarily like them blending, but after watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 
I was so jazzed and buzzed after watching that movie that as I was walking out of the theater, I was just like, bring it on. (laughs) Okay, that's really good to know. I've not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet, although I am interested. And that's uh, a little contradictory for me, just generally speaking. I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan. I've seen Pulp Fiction. I kind of go out of my way to avoid other things that he has done just because I'm not a big fan of violent films. I, yeah. That's not what yeah. I'm looking for. And and that's the thing is that I think that's one thing that very much scares me with making a star a rated R Star Trek film. There's there's the argument that Star Trek should be for everyone that you shouldn't you know like fill it with content like in Game of Thrones or like in a mobster movie or something like that where right. there's either a lot of sex or a lot of violence or a lot of swearing. It, I, I I understand that rationale and I to a point agree with it. But at the same time, we're getting so much more diversity with Star Trek. And when I say diversity, I mean diversity of content where we're getting, we have so many different shows coming out on the slate. Star Trek 4 is not going to happen anymore. And so why not try something new? And where the older I get, the more I realize that not everything that is built is for me. (laughs) You know? Right. Well, you know what? Now is the time, right? Because if you're not into this, and maybe we won't be into this, we'll probably go see it anyway if it does happen. But even if we end up saying, eh, it was okay, who cares? We've got so much other content for, uh, just from the Star Trek franchise alone coming through the pipeline that something is bound to catch our interest. I mean, you and I were both pretty stoked about Picard. I'm very interested mm-hmm. in Star Trek Lower Decks and what that's going to be like. There's no shortage of Star Trek right now. So this is a very good time to maybe try something experimental and see how it goes over with the audience because that way, if you don't like it, so what? You've got something else. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump onto our premise. Let's figure it out. So I'm not, like when we say, let's you and I make a rated R Star Trek film, let's talk about what would make it rated R. And we're not talking, yeah. we're not making Tarantino's film for him. No. That's not what this exercise is. No. We're not making a Tarantino film we're focusing on what would be a good, ideally a good Star Trek story that would lend itself to benefiting from an R rating. That's what we're trying to do. Even though we don't, we both necessarily don't want that. Let's see if we can make it work. So rated R, like the, the R rating is kind of, is kind of weird. Sometimes it's nebulous. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it gets really specific. So back in the day before PG-13 was, was a thing, you could get away with a lot in PG. Like it was just like, holy crap. Like there's like hearts being ripped out from people's chests. There's nudity. You know, it's <laughs> insane. Well, like semi-nudity and then PG-13 came out and then people were like, oh my God, you can get away with so much with PG-13. And so they started defining it a little bit more. Again, I'm paraphrasing really hard here. <laughs> but in order, like in terms of language, the F word always comes to bear with rated r films like oh you can say the f word in pg-13 you're allowed one f word that's it (laughs) that's it you're one and only kind of like in bojack horseman they use the f word one time in the whole season and so you got to make it count (laughs) i didn't know that that's interesting uh yeah they do that every season i think that was the same with breaking bad is that they were allowed one f word per season in fact that might be where the whole idea came from just speculating. And and I always find that so fascinating. Is this like, if you want to have two, it's like, nope, rated R. You have one, PG-13. You want two, rated R. And with the with violence, 
the more blood, the more rated R it's going to be. Like with PG-13 violence, you notice that like hits and even if somebody gets like sliced in the stomach with a sword, like you're, if you have any blood splatter, I think to a certain degree, it's going to be rated R. And so when you see PG-13 violence in the MCU, like in Marvel and everything like that, it's so tame and like people get hit and just fall down. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's one big difference there too. Like look at, you know, stuff that's in rated R films and look at violence that's in like a, a Jason Bourne film or, um, yeah. you know, or like Captain America. So you have the language and obviously you have the sexuality because most movies come out of the States. Um, sexuality is usually regulated a whole lot more in film. So if you want any kind of, most of the time, like sex scenes, if they're not done, what's the word I'm looking for? What, explicitly? Thank you. Yeah, if they're done explicitly, it's going to be rated R. If you want a PG-13 love scene, it's usually a lot of slow motion kissing and uh, like <laughs> initial disrobing. On. Their clothes are obvious and, and like you get to see the back of somebody and then it cuts away. Yeah. Like yeah. that's usually what a PG-13 love scene looks like. Right. Rated R, probably full frontal nudity, at least, <laughs> uh, you know, female full frontal nudity, something like well, that. Well, even that, that's actually interesting that you bring that up because even within an R, there's such a wide, wide gamut when it comes to what is rated R because you have something that is rated R because they wouldn't use the F word twice or uh -huh. they show somebody's butt. You know, like, and then that's it. That's it. That's that. It's rated R just for those things. It's like uh, Shakespeare in Love, the old Gwyneth Paltrow movie. That was a PG-13 film, but then the the filmmakers actually wanted to make it R. They're like, no, we need this to be R. So they threw in nudity and some simulated sex scenes just to make it R. And if you took those out, which were totally not needed for the plot, it would have been an easy PG-13, if not PG movie. Wow. Huh? Okay, I'm not fully following that logic, but okay. <laughs> it's, I think they just wanted to appeal to older audiences or have some edge or something like that. But mm. then you, ha you have something that is like, like low-level R, but then you have something like Wolf of Wall Street, which is uh, Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, and that is hard R. Ten years before it came out, it probably would have been rated X. Like, it is insane, the content that is in it. Okay, now I haven't seen it, so can you do a quick rundown of... Just how explicit Oh, is. God, like the, the the language they have, like you lose count how often they use the F word, they use the C word, they use the GD, they like constant, constant drugs, graphic nudity and sex. And it's just, it's, it, it's just everything. It's debauchery, you know, like cranked up to 11 is okay. what it is. Okay. So with that kind of as a... I don't know, a primer for what makes an R-rated film rated R. We're talking about bloody violence, sex, 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 and F-bombs. And sometimes even more than F-bombs, like you get like vulgar language. Like you have, sure. you know, like vulgar slang terms towards genitalia. You know, you have slang terms derogatory towards women, you know, things like that. And so I feel like if we, if, if an executive came into our writer's room, Char, you and you and my writer's room and they said like mm -hmm. oh we heard you're writing a star trek film you need to make it r i think you and i would definitely go towards the tamer thing we would go okay well let's i feel like my instinct is like okay let's just kind of amp up the violence a little bit <laughs> right like, that's kind of where i'm so at. we're gonna see a lot of blood coming out of somebody when somebody fires a phaser so basically i feel like discovery has kind of encroached that Agreed. i think out of everything they have a few f-bombs 
which they shied away from in the second season. But the violence in season two was definitely amped up. Think about the the Klingon fight scene with the uh-huh. queen. Man, what's his name? I can't even remember his name. Guy with the beard. Oh, uh, Ash Tyler? Jeez, I can't believe I blanked on his name. Ash Tyler, yeah. Ash Tyler and the queen, or the, the empress, whatever you want to call her. Yes. Uh, like that fight scene, you had pink and red blood, you know, being sprayed everywhere. And people's throats being cut. Cut like that. That was R-rated material. That's true. Just because of the amount of gore that you see. So yeah, I mean, and she I, was holding she was holding a, a, a an infant's head in her hands. Yeah. That's R-rated material. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty gory right there. Then and there, we're talking about violence against a child, a helpless child. Now, granted, we found out that it was fake in universe. Obviously, it was fake, but like in universe, it was fake. But still, that happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it happened in Star Trek. So, I guess what Discovery is doing with walking that line is it's not impossible, but you know, and a lot of people have argued. Well, is that necessary? Do we really need that in Star Trek? And that's kind of where I have up to this point hit a roadblock with an R-rated Star Trek film. Why do we need it? What would we do to make it special? Is that possible? Well, I think I think the reason why Paramount thinks they need it is because Star Trek Beyond, critics loved it, and the fans loved it. And it was a box office bomb. It underperformed. Maybe bomb is a, is a strong word, but it very much underperformed. And so yeah, they're like, Yeah, it didn't okay. meet expectations. They're like, we, we made a movie that fans love, that critics love, that was that's a good movie, but it still didn't make money. What are we doing wrong? And so they're like, what are some what's some name recognition behind the camera that could bring people to the seats? And love them or hate them, Quentin Tarantino is a huge Star Trek fan who wants to make a Star Trek movie, who has a huge following, whether they'll film bros or not. It's still a huge following, and it could create buzz and bring in a new section of fans in order to bring in some new blood to the franchise. Because like I said, I was one of the first people to say like, why on earth would you make a rated R film with a failing film franchise? Because that's what Star Trek is. I'm sorry, that's what it is. It's a failing film franchise. It's dying. And Well, now that we've come back to TV, it doesn't feel that bad. Well, that's why I focused on film franchise. I'm not saying it's a dying franchise. I'm saying it's a dying film franchise. No, I mean, I I do agree with you on that. I mean, I think Star Trek Beyond, that was the last we're going to get of the Kelvinverse, uh, at least in its entirety, where it's just a Kelvinverse film. Like, I don't think they're going to make another movie with that cast and crew, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate, too. I would have loved to have seen a fourth one. I'm not going to cry myself to sleep, but I would have liked to have seen it. And if you get an auteur like Tarantino, and I hate saying that term, (laughs) but if you get someone like Quentin Tarantino... He's going to make it his own. And to some people, that's a negative. But I think it could be a positive because I think we need to... The same way that J.J. Abrams invigorated Star Trek with his own style, I think it would be good to kind of bring that stuff in. Because if you look at the original series Star Trek films, they all look like they fit together. And that's a good thing. I think that's great. Same with the uh, Next Generation films with like a slight variance with Nemesis. They all look like they fit together. They all look like they're basically they're produced films, like they're films of the executive producer. But when you have a Tarantino film, 
it's a Tarantino film. It's not necessarily a Star Trek film. It's not, oh, Star Trek film that was directed by Tarantino. It's like, no, it's a Tarantino film that is also a Star Trek film. And again, some people are probably like cringing and rolling their eyes, but maybe we should do that. Maybe that's a good thing because if we have these one-off stories, instead of having like a fourth Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, Kirk and Spock film, that's continuation of one story. We have a series of one-offs from very cool directors. Like we could get Tarantino to do one. We could get David Fincher to do one. You know, like I'm just listing, you know, like we could Ron get Howard. Scorsese to do one, Ron Howard to do one, and they make it their own. And we're doing a series of one-offs that exist in the same universe, but it doesn't have to be Kirk and Spock. And so people are drawn to that director and the look of that story as opposed to pre-existing Kirk and Spock intellectual property. Again, I'm just riffing and, and just going <laughs> off now. Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting idea that you just brought up. It never occurred to me that if say we do get a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film, what if other directors start expressing interest in making a, a Star Trek film with their distinctive style? And would that go over where my first question is, is okay, you bring in the Tarantino audience. They're going to go see it because they like him. Well, right. is that going to draw them into Star Trek, generally speaking? Because the nice side effect and the purpose, really, of the Star Trek films with Star Trek 09 and thereafter was to shoot a new generation into the Star Trek lore, get them interested, and then have them watch those films as their introduction, and then they go back and they watch a lot of the older stuff. A lot of people did that, and it worked. Would a Tarantino audience necessarily do the same thing or is that even necessary where they could just say, hey, yeah, I really like that film. I like Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's that's I, th I think that's what I'm trying to say. And I, again, I'm not saying that's the best thing. I'm not even saying that's an ideal scenario. I'm saying that's a, it's a possible turn that could be made that could work. I mean, if you look at what Disney's doing with Star Wars and their standalones, people will tell you that the standalones have kind of, uh, you, know, you know, like like the what happened with Solo is making them pause on the standalones for a while. That kind of like looking back and reflecting. And I feel like the reason why this is just one reason of, of many is that they bring in interesting directors and then instead of letting them do their vision, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to, we need to sanitize this. We need to make this clean Disney, you know, like moderate entertainment quotient. And so instead of letting them do their thing, they come in and change it to make it bland. <laughs> and they, they did that with Rogue One. They did that with Solo. And so I feel like Paramount or CBS, Paramount, Viacom, whatever you want to call it, you know, down the line could learn from that mistake where they're just like, if we shoot for the middle, that's exactly what we're going to get. Uh huh. And so bring in directors who have a vision and bring in directors who have a voice, let them play in the Star Trek sandbox instead of doing the Disney model of bringing in creative voices and then stamping them down. So if you're going to let them do it, let them do it full force. Right. And in Tarantino's case, it's going to be a very rated R film. So, okay, let's kind of go back to, like, we defined what would make an, uh, a rated R movie. Now, in Star Trek, how can we make this work? How can we make it look and feel good and keep it Star Trek, essentially? I think the first thing that popped in my head was something that would benefit from a uh, from a rated R storyline would be an elite Star Trek elite Voyager elite force film, you know, like okay. based off of the video game. 
So you have the hazard team, like you're, you're on Voyager. Like this is a really great first person shooter video game where you have an away team that is specifically, it's basically a SWAT team in space. It's like the Makos in Enterprise mm, where yeah. it's a team that's specifically designed and curated for the especially dangerous missions. And I feel like if we did something like that, that kind of storyline would lend itself to being rated R. I really like that. I like that better than where my brain was going, which was, of course, because thank you, Discovery, Section 31. I I was waiting for one of us to say <laughs> Section 31. I mean, it's too obvious, though, which is why I don't want to go that route, especially knowing that we also, we're going to get a show down the road. Yeah, I'm... Like, not, okay, not I mean, that's fine. That. Uh, whatever. Yeah, you do you, boo. I don't, I'm not particularly keen on that one right now either, just because maybe so much else is going on. But I love this idea of this group of people that are taking on the really dangerous missions. Maybe they know they're at a much higher risk of death, where essentially you signed up for this. At some point, you know you're going to die. What is that like? Yeah, like it's the it's the the survival rate. <laughs> is yeah, incredibly not low good. <laughs> if you sign up for this, or one thing that we could do is one thing that could be interesting is a Red Squad film. So it's kind of like a, you remember the Deep Space Nine episode with the um, the USS oh what's it called the Venture or mm, oh it was like it was it's not it was the a defiant um, no it was it was a d- defiant class vessel. Mm-hmm. And I know what you're it, talking about. Yeah, people at home, like, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, like, they're it was screaming right now, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was a crew of Red Squad, of the of this elite group of Academy cadets, and they're trying to take on the Dominion all by themselves. Yeah. One thing that popped in my head is, like, if we maybe we combine some of those elements where, like, we tell that story a little bit differently, where you have a group of cadets, like, they're elite cadets, and they're stranded in enemy territory. And it's mm. all about them surviving. And so <laughs> you you have the Star Trek no- technology. You have the Star Trek influence of teamwork, working together, trying to strive for peace, and you know, also survival in, in the harsh wasteland that is the universe. Um, yeah. And you also you have younger people. Like you have an excuse to use people who are 18 to 21 so you can appeal to a younger crowd. Right. And super sexy. Right. It kind of feels yeah. like Apocalypse Now, Star Trek style. <laughs> uh, a little bit different than that. Okay. That's a little bit different than what I'm thinking of. Although, side note, that was originally what Insurrection was supposed to be, and it's so sad that we didn't get that. Uh, really? It was supposed to be? How did they get from there to there? Oh, man. Like, there is a, there's an entire book about the making, an unpublished book about the making of Insurrection. I have oh. a PDF. I'll send it to you. Is that Michael Piller's book? Yes, I've heard yes. about it. I've I have it like on my Amazon wish list, but it's something like sixty bucks, so I don't have it yet. Well, it, it's the PDF is out there. It's for free. It's it's oh it's unpublished. So oh okay, there you go. maybe this is something slightly different. Anyway, yeah, I had no idea that was the thing. Wow. Okay, <laughs> you just blew my mind. But see, that's the type of thing. That kind of story, like it, to bring it up, like I wasn't talking about Apocalypse Now. That wasn't the feeling I was going for. But if they did an Apocalypse Now type storyline with Data and Picard and Riker and everything like that, that is the type of story that could lend itself to a rated R feeling. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're just even talking a survival story in enemy territory, there's going to be people who are going to die. They can die violently. There's going to be mm -hmm. long battle sequences, right? Just to kind of create some serious action scenes. I definitely see this as a possibility. And we're not even on a starship. Yeah, it, and that's the thing is like none of our, our ideas have really stayed on a starship. It's all kind of been <laughs> stranded or in the jungle or something like that. Yeah. And with an apocalypse now type deal, it's that would be that would be very very interesting and I think you could definitely do an apocalypse now type storyline in the Dominion War. Like we could go back to the oh. Dominion War uh -huh. and people are behind enemy lines. Maybe we maybe we 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 do that Red Squad storyline you know, where they're behind enemy lines or like maybe they started on a starship or they were observers or they were, it was a training ship or something like that. And then the quote unquote adults die and then it, they're left their own devices on behind enemy lines. And it's, we have, we have Jemadar, we got, yeah, we, we got people coming in that would rec recognizable faces. I think that would be really interesting. I mean, we get some real Jemadar violence would be interesting. It really would. I kind of want to marry your two ideas where we've got the Red Squad, but then we've also got this SWAT team that comes in knowing that Red Squad is out there to come in and rescue them. And their mission is just kill, 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 rescue, get out. Ooh, okay. I okay. Okay. So maybe, okay. So we have this elite force. It's a hazard team and their mission is to rescue Red Squad. Yeah. And so they're going through the wilderness. They're behind enemy lines. We see them try to find them. And maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been a couple of years. And they just now found out the location of Red Squad. And oh, so they've been out there for a while. They don't even know if they're alive, maybe? Right, right. And so maybe they've gone a little crazy. Or maybe they've gone oh. a little Lord of the Flies. Yes, that's so true to life. That would that way we could get the older veterans, maybe get some familiar faces, some cameos, like maybe sure. we get Tuvok in there. Yeah. Actually, that wouldn't make sense if it was Dominion. But you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you get you get that hazard team. They go through the jungle, and they, once they actually find the Red Squad, the Red Squad doesn't want to be saved, and they're they're going a little crazy, or maybe they integrated with a native culture or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something has really changed in their psyche. And yeah, maybe they don't want to leave. And maybe they're even going to fight the uh, SWAT team a little bit. Right. And like maybe there are some, maybe there's some Red Squad members that have become enslaved by other Red Squad members. Where like Ooh. there's one person who kind of is like if we do the whole Apocalypse Now thing, there's one person who's kind of dominated the landscape where... They've become a tyrant. They've used a yeah. native population to enforce their ideals. And there's Red Squad members who are like, this isn't Federation. This isn't Starfleet. What are you doing? And so they're captive. They're in a, they're in a work camp. And so the, the elite force is just like, listen, we have, a new, <laughs> we have a new goal. We need to take this guy down and save these people. Yeah. Ooh. You know, I'm kind of liking this. And it, it barely involves a starship. Yeah. But you know what this does do? And one of the big ways that this can be a Star Trek film is you're going to focus heavily on these characters. We're going to get to know them through the action sequences. We're going to understand their motivations, why they're doing what they're doing. I think for that reason, and then also throwing in some Starfleet ideals, like, oh, mm -hmm. what you're doing is not Starfleet anymore. And, well, Starfleet abandoned us two years ago, that sort of thing. I mean... 
yeah, you could really get into some serious psyche stuff here. Are we getting too close to Star Trek Beyond here? Mm, not necessarily. I think it, it, it. I feel like on the surface it could be confusing with that, where because there is that you know, like we had that uh, NX ship, not an NX ship, but it, we had the Franklin yeah. who crash landed and then went crazy and then said that they renounced Starfleet, and then you have um, the Enterprise crew who crash lands there as well. Uh, and then kind of goes through the wilderness and finds them and then defeats them. So, whew, yeah, those bones are there. So we'd have to they really are. focus on making it different. I think, I think though, that you can make it different enough just through the details. Maybe the framework mm-hmm. has a lot of similarities, but what actually plays out is different enough to where maybe you go into the theater and you don't even recognize this, at least not at first. <laughs> Right. So we'd have to be careful. But I think like at the beginning, like we'd have a prologue of the movie where it's kind of like in Generations where it's the Enterprise B. Okay. You know, like like yeah. the, you see that Enterprise B storyline and then the opening titles are done. And then it's like, boom, time has passed. We move on. We're no longer with the Enterprise B. But with mm-hmm. this one, it would be something like that Defiant Class Vessel. It would be the U.S. I know it's I, I can't remember what it's called. It's not venture. It's probably not venture, but that's the only word that's coming to my head. Uh, Valiant. The Valiant. Valiant. So you have the USS Valiant or something like that. And we see them and it's the training mission. And they're just like, hey, should we really be doing a training mission in the middle of a war? Anyways, forget that. Uh, and, <laughs> and then so like most of the crew is dead. They have to crash land. We see that them crash land and they walk out of the ship and then we see a native population a native alien population and then cut to black and then we're back on earth and it says something like three years later i really like that and maybe the dominion war is over Ooh, yeah they don't know that yeah the dominion wars like we're back on earth and we're just like hey the dominion war is over and now that it is we've been able to go back into the gamma quadrant into certain spaces and we found an old distress call that we didn't hear before something like that yeah maybe they've had some sort of sos happening this whole time i really like that i really like the idea too of giving us a little bit of a preface for the dominion Mm -hmm. war for maybe somebody who has never seen star trek they don't know what the dominion war is again it's another action sequence but it fits and then for those of us who do know what it is, that's familiar, we get it. And then for those who need to play catch up, there we go. We set that precedent and it's done. Yeah. What I really want to do is because Voyager's back, like say that's after the Dominion War, Voyager's back home. What I really want to do is make it like this: the video game, the Elite Force video game actually happened. Uh-huh. And so someone someone goes to Tuvok and says, you need to get the hazard team back together. But that wouldn't work in a million years because <laughs> if you watch the show, nowhere is Elite Force ever mentioned. And so you can't really say, like, you can't say this stuff happened off screen because, <laughs> like, if someone goes to Tuvok and says, you need to get the band back together, you need to get your hazard force back together. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, we totally use them at dangerous missions. You never saw it, but we totally did it. You know, like that would be too much of a stretch. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. I think rather than seeing Tuvok, maybe some mention of it can come down the line in just dialogue. But I think you'd have to present it as a more original concept. You're absolutely right. So let's go ahead and think about that. Like who is the elite force? How are they made? Have they been together for a long time? Is it is it a brand new thing? 
or who's this individual? Who are these individuals? Because you got to get that whole I'm building a team vibe yeah. going on. I think the way they would maybe assemble candidates for this sort of thing is people in the academy who have proven themselves to be really sharp shooters, really strong tacticians, people who can think on their feet, you know, people mm-hmm. who can read a situation as they're in it and move, move, move. You need those people who at least have a higher likelihood of survival. And I mean, who are fearless, obviously. They have to, to go into a situation like this. So these are prime candidates for this very specific kind of situation. I feel like I, I, I like that idea. And I think it would be interesting like if we had some veterans, we have some people who are older, some veterans who need to go to the to the academy. Like who's, your, like who's your top person? Who can do this? Who can do that? Like, listen, we're not looking for diplomats. We're looking for people who stand out and excel in these kind of areas, you know, like that kind of right. thing. Right. Yeah, and then these people can be mentors to this young squad to really hone in their skills and make them experts for this kind of work. Now, my first thought as to somebody who might be a really good mentor is, of course, Worf. Oh, that would be interesting. You know, maybe he's assembling this team. I don't know if I want Worf assembling the team. I don't don't have any reasons why not. Okay, well, maybe if he's not the leader, he's there for combat training, let's say. I, th- I would love to see that where he's the one who says, like, she, like she or he is my top student. If you Ooh. want somebody to do this, this is who you go with. Okay, that's doable. That works. You know, the, I feel like th- it's a perfect time to get some cameos, but n- we don't need them for the entire film. And also, I've, I started thinking, I'm like, okay, well, if it's a native population then why wouldn't Starfleet be able to just beam them up or do this or wipe them out or do that? and Not wipe them out, but you know what I'm trying to say. You know, you just got to tech the tech. Beam out is apparently not a thing. You have to go down to the planet. We've seen it before. Oh, yeah. You tech the tech, but you also, in order to get the Jim Hadar in there, say that there are some Jim Hadar who refuse to recognize the peace treaty in the surrender. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's always a few that just can't yeah, and- go along with the majority. And they're guarding this sector, and the the former Red Squad have been for fighting them off for years because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Okay. That makes some sense. That works. I feel like that's your reasoning to kind of strip down the technology a little bit, where it's uh-huh. got to be hand to hand. It's got to be phasers. You can't do beam out. You can't do you know torpedoes, or you can't have the ship intervene too much. It's got to be you beam down. You walk across the jungle. You get there, and that's so you have those limitations to force something a little bit more primal. Yep. Yeah, that is exactly the word, too, is primal. I feel like, obviously, the the violence is what could bring it out, bring out the R, make it yeah. gritty, make it realistic. Maybe a few F-bombs, too, just for good measure. Just sprinkle them in there. Nothing crazy. You know, just, just, just a few People under there. pressure, though. They're going to be swearing a bit. And then, of course, there has to be some sort of weird waterfall scene where, you know, like... Somebody's bathing and you get some side butt, you know, something <laughs> like that. Lots of butts. It's communal bathing. It's, yeah, something like that. And then butts, there you butts, go. butts. Okay, cool. You get cool. some eye candy. Sure. Boom, done. Probably Rated a set R. of boobs somewhere in there. Whatever. It's fine. <sighs> Probably. I mean, it's true. Like, we want to keep it classy, though. So classy nudity. So it's got to be side boobs. butt. Yeah, classy <laughs> boobs. Classy boobs and butts next on Star Trek. <laughs> Okay, well. Name of the episode right there. There you go.
That's going to get a lot of, that's going to get us listeners. That's going to get the clicks. All right. <laughs> well, I think we've, we've more or less, I think we've set the stage here. Tarantino can take it from here. Yeah, I think this is a, I think this is a good framework of a gritty Star Trek film, something that could, you know, definitely use the R rating, but not abuse it. I think that's one thing that I'm yes. very scared of and wary of. I don't want a hard R. If we're going to do R, just just try to do it when it's necessary. Yep. That's my big concern, too, is if you're going to do it, do it with purpose. Don't do it just for a gratuitous whatever, because you can. Right. I don't want to see a gruesome decapitation with somebody's eyes being plucked out. Or I don't want to see a sex scene that has nothing to do with the characters or plot. But, yeah. you know, like if you want to show a plot motivated, a uh, violent act, then that's fine. Right. But Just make, make it, make it sense. plot driven. Yeah. Yes, please. All right. Well, there, there you have it, folks. Uh, that is our thought on what could be a good framework for a rated R Star Trek film where it's not gratuitous and it's not abusing the R rating. Uh, but we want to hear from you guys. We want to know what you think. Like, is that, would this make a good rated R film? Do we not need one? Do we need one? Should we try something different? We talked a lot. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things today, and uh, we'd love to hear your opinions on all of them, whether it's Tarantino or Star Trek Four or what you want or what you don't want, everything like that. What you can do is go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the drop-down menu, fill out the form, and it'll send us an email. You can also find us on social. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find me personally on Twitter at the Insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh the Profanity. And if you uh, have a couple of seconds uh, and you like what we're doing, please go to uh, Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. If you give us a five-star rating, we'll mention you on the show. Well, that, that was it. And, uh, and maybe act also if you can think of a name for our uh, rated our Star Trek film, uh, if, it's, if we get some good submissions, we'll mention them on the show next week. Now, speaking of next week, uh, whatever we do, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be realistic, maybe even gritty, but we're going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.